If you've been here for a while, you know that we've been working on a series in 1 Corinthians and um, kind of ran out of speed right at near the end of there where we were leaving on vacation and stuff. But 1 Corinthians 15 has got a beautiful chapter. It's one of the chapters that's often um, used at a funeral for someone who's passed away. But 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful passage, and we're not going to have time to go through the whole thing, but we're going to go through a certain section of it that is absolutely important to understand what God is doing and what God has done and wants to do in our life. What I want to do is start off a little bit to remind you about what's happening in our culture, and a lot of things have changed. Many of you recognize there's been many denominations here in America, and we're thankful for them, and some are maybe more on track than others. Um, as many of you know, that um, our passage is going to be here in 1 Corinthians. It's going to be verses 1 to 28, so I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, to go ahead and take that out if you want. We're going to be dealing with what we might call the essential question. It's one of the most questions. There's a lot of things that Christians can discuss. You know, was creation seven literal days, or was it one day, or was it 7,000? You know, we can talk about those issues, but there are other things in the Christian faith. It's either true or it's not. There's things where it's not, you either take it or you don't. And this is exactly one of those passages. It's an essential question that we're going to see in this passage that we have to deal with. And this is a struggle that's going on in a lot of the denominations. Some of you may be very aware of this woman. Uh, she's very smart, very intelligent. Uh, Catherine um, Jeffords is her name. She was a biologist, very, very smart, went on and decided to go into the ministry. Uh, and she is now the leader of this entire denomination. She is the top person in that whole denomination. And from the very beginning, there were many people who were conservative in that denomination that were very concerned. They weren't sure, where does she stand on this whole issue about the fact that Jesus died and rose again? I mean, if there's a thing that's important among Christians, it's the belief that Jesus really did die, and he really did rise again, and because of that, we have hope and we have life. And so it's been difficult, because somebody, you know, about maybe two years ago, kind of cornered her, not in a bad way, but said, can you make this clear to me? They said, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Christ? And she looked around and stuttered a little bit and said this, well, some people believe that. And everybody went, oh, don't tell me that. I mean, the person who's the head of an entire huge denomination, the best they could say was, some people believe that? It's hard to imagine that when you can pick up a Bible, any Bible, and look at 1 Corinthians 15, and you look right at it and say, there's no question. It's either a bunch of baloney or it's truth right from God's word. There's none of this equivocation, well, it could be this, it could be that. It's either true or it's not. Either Jesus got out of the grave or he's still dead and rotting there. And yet one time, so many times, we recognize that these are our things that are just we cannot budge on. So turn in your Bible if you have it or you can follow along with me if you would as we look at this. We're going to be looking at this passage where Paul is talking and Paul is going to be talking to us about what's going on and how crucial this is. And so listen to what he said. He said, now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I proclaim to you. Let's stop for a moment. He's probably given a little bit of tweaking them a little bit, saying, uh, you know, I shouldn't have to be going over this again. But it looks like I do need to go over this again. 
because we'll see in the next few verses there's a reason he had to do this. He said, the gospel I proclaim to you, you received it and you've taken your stand. In other words, when, when you became a Christian, and those of you in Corinth and those who heard it other places, when you came to that, you knew that what we believe at the very core goes rock solid thing. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. And because of that, we have new life. And he's saying, how is it that I spent a year and a half teaching you, helping you, leading you through the scriptures, and now you're going, well, I'm not sure what I really believe about that. And he says, well, I'm going to help you with that one. Because this is something we can't equivocate about. It's either true or it's not. And so he says right there, he said, you also are saved by it, by this message of what Christ has said. You've been saved by this message, proclaimed you, unless maybe you believe for no purpose. Like maybe you never really did get it. Maybe you don't understand what the gospel is really about. And so he says, all right, let me make it really clear. As clear as I can make it for you, he says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Now notice what he's doing. He's saying, I didn't write this. I'm not the one who wrote it. Jesus said this. Jesus taught it to his apostles. I am an apostle, but I wasn't part of the original 12. But I'm still called apostle because God has sent me to do that. And he's saying, for it was passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died, and notice this next phrase, for our sins. There are many people who say, well, Jesus died to give us how to show love and care for each other. Well, that's partially true. That's an incredible love of what he would go to the cross for us. But that's only part of the answer. More important is the fact that it says he died for our sins. He could do for what we could never do. We could never earn God's love. We could never earn God's salvation. Only Christ and his death for us do we take God, take away that sin that we can have a right relationship with him. And so Paul's going back saying, you don't get this? You don't understand it? I'm telling you, this is the core of the scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he goes on to say that he was buried. In other words, we know he was dead. We saw he was dead. He was wrapped in cloth. He was put in a tomb. If he wasn't a died, dead, at the moment when he died, he died in that tomb. He said he was dead. He was buried. But then the big part is, and he was raised on the third day. That's the, that's the Easter hope. That because Christ is alive, we too will live as we're connected with him through faith in him. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, going back to what God had already taught us. And that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the 12 apostles. In other words, we've got all kinds of people that can tell you what Jesus said. This is not something new. We're not making this up. We're telling you what eyewitnesses saw. And then, of course, the one that even tells you more says, then he, Jesus, appeared to over 500 brothers. Notice it doesn't say women. Often they didn't do that way. Unfortunately, they didn't do it. But if there's 500 men, there may have been 500 women plus kids. In other words, oh, somebody said they think they saw Jesus. And they're going, wait a minute, I can give you 500. I can give you 1,000. Because, well, there's two people that met on the road to Emmaus. Uh, maybe that really happened. Said, yeah, but what about the other thousand? He's saying, this is very clear. This shouldn't be hard for you. Most of whom remain to the present. In other words, most of these people that saw Jesus are still alive. But some have fallen asleep. 
that's a term for dying, they've died. But it's interesting how Christians started using this phrase, fallen asleep. Because this morning, you were sleeping during the night, you woke up. During that night, you'd fallen asleep. And they use that same phrase, saying, yeah, you know what? We used to say, he's dead. But I'm a Christian. He said, oh, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It means, you know what? I'm going to live forever with Christ. Yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to deal with physical death. I am going to die unless Christ, um, we're alive when Christ returns. But his point is, notice this, it's falling asleep, but he's going to wake me up. When my day comes and I go to be with him, believe me, he's going to wake me up and I'll be with Christ forever. And he's saying, why do you not get this? So notice what he says. Then he, Jesus, appeared to James. Now, there's a number of James. It makes it a little hard in the Gospels. Probably he's talking about his own younger brother, James. We're told in the Gospels that his brothers didn't even believe who he was. And so probably it was James who, when he saw the resurrected brother, said, uh, guess what? I believe. And he became one of the great leaders, of course, of the early Christian church. And he said, then he appeared to James, and he called to all the apostles. And then there's a very lot of humility here. Last of all, as to one abnormally born. I wasn't there when it happened. I wasn't there when the apostles went out. But the Lord should got a hold of me on the road to Damascus when he knocked me on the ground. And he said, I believe. And he said, he also appeared to me. He said, and a lot of the humility here, Paul says, for I'm the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul had that to deal with for the rest of his life. That woman that they threw into the prison, that man who was killed because of his faith in Christ, I was there. I was holding coats. I was telling him, go get them. And he had to carry that, that real reality that he had hurt so many people but I'm so thankful the passage does not end with that phrase. Notice what Paul says, but. By the way, there's, that word but is going to be used significantly several times right in this message because it makes such a difference. But by God's grace, Paul says, I am what I am, and by his grace towards me was not ineffective. In other words, all right, I was a bad guy. I did terrible things. I am sorry for that. But the reality is I have been forgiven by that risen Christ. And because of that, I have done everything I could to serve the Lord Jesus. And he said, however, I worked more than any of them. Yet not I. He's not being boasting. He said, yet not I. But he said, but God's grace was with me. Through God's grace, I've been able to do a whole lot of things. I've brought a lot of people to faith in Christ. And I'm thankful for it. I'm not being arrogant, but God has used me in a great way. And he says, therefore, whether I or they, so we preach and so you've believed. It says, isn't that what you heard? Did you hear that from me? Did you hear that from Apollos? Did not you hear that from Cephas? This is the core part of the scriptures. It's the core of the gospel. Do you get it? And he's saying, how can you not get it? But there's obviously people who were not getting it. Now notice verse 12. He says this. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, which Christians believed, how can some of you say, oh, there's no resurrection from the dead? Now, we don't know exactly who these people were. We're not positive. It seemed like there was one strain of people who said, yes, of course we're Christians and we believe Jesus rose from the dead, but we don't 
we don't rise from the dead. Only Jesus does. And Paul's going, what? Where did you pick that one up? Oh, yeah, that, uh, it's only Jesus. And no, that's not what this, we've known. That's not what we heard from Jesus. That's not what we heard from the apostles. Other people were coming from that Greek culture. And a lot of them, they had some strange things. You know, for some of them, they thought that, you know, that your, your body was like, a, was like a tomb. And your soul was captured there in that tomb. And when the moment you died, boom, you were released. And that crummy old body of yours that's rotten on the ground, that doesn't matter because your eternal soul is going to go on forever. And Paul's going, where in the world did you get that? That is not the scriptures. That is not the gospel. So some people say, no, it's because that. Other people came up with other theories of why it wasn't that Jesus really rose from the dead. And, and, and you go, really? And Paul says, this is so clear, so absolutely clear to understand what he's saying. He said, listen, you need to understand this, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. Now notice that phrase. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, I mean, if even Jesus can't come alive again, what do you think it's going to be for you? You got nothing. You're dead. You're rotten somewhere in Palestine. And he's saying, I can't believe that you have wandered this much, this early, this quickly in what's been going on. And so he says, listen, I want to say this. If Christ hasn't been raised, you know, our whole preaching is without foundation. So is your faith. And as you might give it up. All the stuff about Jesus being alive and all the things that he does for us in relationship with him, that's bogus. I mean, that's just ridiculous if Christ is not alive. And so he's saying, do you understand that? You can't come up with all these crazy theories of saying what it could be. We made it very clear to you. He says, in addition, I guess we are found to be false witnesses. Well, I guess we've been lying to you all along. Is that what you're saying? Of course, they're going, no, no, we don't think you're saying that, but we don't see it. You know, that idea of, you know, the resurrection. I mean, what do you, it looks like a, you know, a, a, a really kind of bad, kind of, kind of bad thing, you know, and corruption. People, what's going on? He's going, what, you don't get this? In addition, we're found to be liars because we have testified about God that he, God, raised up Christ whom he did, if he did not raise from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. You don't understand. You don't understand. This is so important for you to understand. It's not something that can be debated. It's either it's true or it's not. And yet we live even what we call the general Christian culture of America, and we see it starting to drift away. Even some of the smaller denominations are saying, well, we don't really have to talk about the resurrection. Some people believe that, but other people don't. Like, really? I'm sorry, but you're going in the wrong direction. Notice what he says. For if the dead are not raised, well, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Oh, I, I like forgiveness for sins. How, how can you get forgiveness for sins? If Christ is dead, the dead Jesus is no help to you. But a resurrection day, a resurrected Christ is going to make all the difference in the world in your life. So notice what he says. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who've died in Christ, they've also perished. There's no hope for them. They're just, you know, picking up, you know, pansies are coming out from where they lived. You know, I mean, it's all over. Game's over. You're dead. End of it. That's it. And he keeps coming back saying, that's not the end of the story. If we've placed our hope in Christ for this life only, 
Well, you know, we ought to be pitied more than anyone because we must be idiots to believe this message. And he keeps coming back saying, but that's not the message. The message is he died, he rose again, and because he lives, we too will live. And so Paul has to keep coming back to that phrase. And he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. And here's an interesting phrase, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I remember from your studies in the Old Testament that when they had one of the big, um, when they had one of the, the, the big uh, meetings together, that one of the things they would do is people would come and they would bring something from their from the flock or something from the wine or something from their uh, from all their what they had grown, and they would bring it, and it was kind of like saying. I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that the Lord has been good to me, and because of that, I'm bringing this to, before you. And, and, and it's basically saying, and Lord, we would ask that you would keep bringing that in for us. But now he's using that metaphor in a different way, talking about us as people. But he says, for since, he said, for Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. In other words, he's the first one that's popping up out of the ground, and we're following him. For since death came through a man. You go, what? You mean the guy that killed Jesus? No, he's talking about Adam. For since death came through a man, through Adam, all died in Adam. He said, since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead's coming through a man. In other words, Adam brought death, but there's another man, and his name's Jesus. And wait till you see what he does with that. Now notice what he says. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those have fallen. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. First Christ, the first fruits afterward, then his coming, the people of Christ. And then he has this beautiful ending to our passage right here. Then comes the end. When he, God, hands over the kingdom, excuse me, where Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. It is a beautiful passage. It is a terrific statement of saying, do you realize the difference it makes of Jesus Christ? Either he's dead or he's alive. If he's really alive, then that's a game changer and everything changes for us. And he's saying, well, we're looking for that time when Christ comes, where the kingdom comes in power and glory. And he said, then he's going to reign to all his enemies have been put under his feet, and then we'll be with him forever. So it's a great passage. It's no wonder that people often read that passage at funerals or things like that, because it brings us right back to the core of the scriptures. You know, a lot of times, we've heard it 10 times, 50 times, 1,000 times, but it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. Oh, yeah, I believe, I believe that. Makes a question, do you really understand that? The difference it makes, the fact that Jesus is really alive. He has it rotten somewhere in Palestine. He's alive and well, and he's coming back in glory. And that is the Christian hope. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For he's put everything under his feet. And when he says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. Of Christ is the one, the ultimate one. And when everything is subjected to him and the Son himself will be subjected to him who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. It's a wonderful passage.
It's a passage that's so powerful about what the gospel clearly is and how important it is. One of the great early uh, I mean, American scholars was a guy named Westcott, who wrote a number of books and stuff. And he had an interesting way he described how important it is for the gospel. He said this, indeed, uh, he says, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no single historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the antecedent assumption that it must be false could have suggested the idea of deficiency in the proof of another. There's, there's no other way, way to understand it. He said it's got to be. All the evidence is there that Jesus Christ really did die, but he really did rise again. And because he lives, in fact, it's one of the courses we're going to end with, I think, is because he lives, because he lives, we do have life, and we do have hope. You know, this is so important for the way that we live our lives, the way we approach life together. And it is important, because the difference that it makes is so important. If I told you the gospel's not true, you're just going to die and rot in a grave, and well, okay, maybe you say, well, okay, you know, I'm also just go have fun and go get drunk and do what I want to do because it makes no difference. I'm just going to rot away like everybody else. But if it's true that Jesus is alive and I'm connected with him by faith, that I am in Christ, as Paul loves that phrase, that's a game changer. It gives us hope of how to live a life before him. And it certainly has a lot to do with the issue of death. As one of, the, one of the English writers put, he said, you know, it comes to death. It's, you know, one, one, one for one dies. Nobody's going to get out of this alive unless you're here when Jesus returns. And it is sad. You see people who particularly are getting close to die. I've been there a number of times with people. It's been amazing to me to be with a number of believers. I've been with some just as they were taking their last breath. And it's so interesting to see that they're not screaming, they're not crying. I've heard them tell me, I'm ready to go. Just please ask Jesus to let me go. I'm ready to go to be with Jesus. On the contrary, I've had a couple, thankfully not only a couple, where a person is, has no hope, believes nothing, is just absolutely terrified of what is coming their way. Fear of death is a real thing. I'd have to say this has certainly been on mine this week. I did a funeral west of Fort Worth on Thursday for friends that I know. And I'd met this woman before. And I looked in that casket. thought, that's not her. And you realize, boy, when you're dead, I mean, you're dead. But I'm thankful that this woman knew the Lord. And she was with Christ. But the reality is, for many of us, it's kind of like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to think about that now. What would be a best time to do it? Right about now is when you ought to be thinking about it. As you know, I wasn't supposed to be preaching today. Nabiya Bassi was our guest speaker. He'd sent me a note saying, thanks for everything set up, ready, glad to meet you. And then I got a phone call from him. He spoke, spoke to his mom in the morning. An hour and a half later, he called me back. He said, I just got a call saying my mother died. I was like, what? Yeah, I just talked to her like two, two hours ago, I guess it was. I talked to her. She's dead. I asked her how she's doing. She said, I'm fine, fine. You don't have to worry about me. I'm fine. She's dead. 
you know, we live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about death. We try to have nice things with nice, soothing music and don't let anybody be upset at the summer service. And it's like, really? Death is death. But the good news is Christ has conquered death. And that makes all the difference in the world. John Wesley, one of, such a great guy from England, Remember, he went around starting groups of people that were studying the scriptures together, and they used to make fun of him. He'd get kicked out of one place. He'd get kicked out of another place. And, um, you know, they were called Methodists because they were very methodical about their Bible study. And, you know, one day he just kind of had enough of it. And so in a very unlike way, he doesn't normally would do that. But he said, you know, they were laughing at him. And he said, okay, you know what? You're laughing, he said. He said, you know what? Let me tell you something. Our Methodists die well. He said, do you think you will? Wesley said, our people go to the grave knowing that they've got a hope in Jesus Christ, and that changes everything. That's the difference. The gospel message is for us of knowing that we're going to be with Christ forever. It's the resurrection hope. It sounds like an Eastern message, but it goes with what we're doing because it's a constant reminder that unless we're in that last generation, we're all going to die. Every person you know and love is going to die. And the question is, are we ready to die? And are we ready to share the good news with people who have no hope? But who can have the hope through knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord? It talks about resurrection power. The power that raises Jesus from the dead. It tells us again the fact that we, because we are united with Christ, he loves that phrase, in Christ. When you are united with him, you are experiencing the power that he has to do it. In, in terms of a generation that's so much dealing with addictions and struggles, and I'm not saying we don't need counselors, I'm sure we do, but there's very time, there's times where we have to say, wait a minute, this is something that only God can do. And we're going to have to ask God to give us that resurrection power that enables us to be the person, the man, the woman that he wants us to be. And so he gives us that which we need to be able to do what we do to serve him. And it's a resurrection enablement. You say, oh, I can never do that. I, I could never. I, I'm not talented that way. I couldn't do it. Say, okay, maybe you can't do it, but there's something called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can enable you to do what God's calling you to do to be the woman, to be the man, to have the person who makes a, di makes a difference in the life of people. It does matter. The gospel does matter. I call it the message, not one step, because we live in a quote, I'm using Christian culture in the broadest sense, where some peop many people are saying it really doesn't matter whether Jesus rose from the dead. Let me tell you, if he's not dead, we're all idiots. If we just think that Jesus died in the cross, died and there's nothing left, we're, we're, we're done. It's over. The good news is he is more alive today than he has ever been. And one day you're going to be with him if you know Christ as your Savior. If you've trusted in him. If you've recognized that he is willing to do that which we could never do for ourselves. And we say, Lord Jesus, I, I realize that I've sinned. And I've failed, and I've made mistakes, and I've done wrong things, and I've hurt people. But, Lord, I believe what you said, that if I will come to you in repentance and faith, saying, I, I was wrong. 
I did wrong things. I come to you in repentance and faith, but I do believe, Lord Jesus, that, that, it, that if I come to you, that you'll give me real life. He'll do it. To give you the power to live a life that God's going to use to have an impact in the lives of others. Is that true for you? In what way is the truth of what we just talked about, the empowerment of the Spirit, how does God want to use you to let other people know that Jesus is alive and well and you can meet him and you can know him and you can serve him. Father, we thank you that we could be together for this passage. We thank you for the scriptures that you gave us. We ask, Father, that you'd help us, not just as individuals, but even as our church, that we would never depart from the clear teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we would never compromise on what has been so clearly taught to us. Give us that great sense of hope of knowing one day we will be with Christ forever. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, but with you, Lord Jesus, forever, forever, forever. Amen. Please stand with us. We're